Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Quadcast. My name is John McAlevey and I'm so happy to have you aboard. I launched this podcast a little over a year ago for a number of reasons. Among them are to provide a platform for individuals who have endured life-altering injuries but have not let them define who they are or derail the life they still want to live. The opportunity to highlight people who have picked up the pieces and are thriving in one form or fashion is so important to individuals who may doubt that it's possible because their lives have suddenly been turned upside down. The hope is that by sharing their stories, struggles, and triumphs, this will serve as a blueprint for someone who is newly disabled. Another reason I continue to record shows is because it gives me the ability to keep my toe in the communications pool. While my home in New Providence, New Jersey is not the hallowed studios of ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut, it still gives me the chance to have my voice heard. And who knows, perhaps someone out there will like what they hear in these velvety tones and give the kid a shot at something bigger. While the quadcast is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, it is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. I truly believe this is a 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. If you missed our last episode, and quite frankly, how could that have happened, you can find my conversation with Francesco Clark on my website, which is www.quadcast.org. Francesco's amazing story of nearly drowning in a pool following a diving accident to founder and owner of Clark's Botanicals, the most effective clean skincare brand with a foundation in holistic self-care and wellness on the market, did not happen overnight. In fact, for three years post-accident, he suffered from depression. Francesco's hopes, dreams, life were on hold until one specific day the one in which Christopher Reeve passed away. Francesco told me, quote, I'd lost my hero, and the world had lost its best advocate for spinal cord research. I needed to step up, end quote. Well, once his company was finally up and running, he made the decision to commit a portion of its profits to the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, which brings us to today's program. As the gold standard for those of us living with a spinal cord injury, I knew I had to have someone from the foundation join me. Their mission statement, after all, reads, quote, We are dedicated to curing spinal cord injury by advancing innovative research and improving the quality of life for individuals and families impacted by paralysis, end quote. Kind of a no-brainer, right? And for this new venture, which targets the same exact audience they do, not only would having a surrogate on with me lend instant and immediate credibility to this podcast, which is recorded on a cramped desk in a corner of my bedroom, but they could provide answers, information, and above all, hope for my listeners and me. So I sent my initial email request for a guest to the foundation in early November 2020. I reached for the stars, asking for Christopher and Dana's son, Will. Since then, I have had a running email dialogue with Julia Leonard, marketing associate with the foundation. She has been a great advocate, never once asking me to stop bothering her, and was instrumental in putting today's episode together. Following this brief commercial from the good folks at Canine Companions for Independence, another inspiring story is headed your way. I will be joined by T.J. Griffin, 
Program Coordinator with the Christopher and Dana Reef Foundation's Peer and Family Support Program. And that, my friends, is next. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of love and care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. Welcome back to the show. Hey, I've been told that the quadcast makes a nice beach companion. So if you find yourself in the sun on the sand this summer, you can find us at Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. That, and remember your sunscreen too. With those public service announcements out of the way, it is now time to say hello to the aforementioned T.J. Griffin. Welcome, T.J., and thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So this is it's going to be exciting. It is exciting. And, you know, T.J., what, what I usually like to do with my guests is begin at the beginning. So where did you grow up and tell our listeners what you used to like to do as a child? Okay, well, uh, you probably can already tell, but uh, with my Texas accent, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, I grew up in uh, in a small town called Euless, which is right in between Dallas and Fort Worth. It's called the Mid Cities area. Uh, been here since I was uh, three years old, um, so I was actually born here, but I got here as soon as I could. Is what we like to say about Texas, and, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, but I I was one of those kids that you know, it was never inside, uh, and I needed a ball at all times. Uh, um, my, my family's, you know, my expression on my mom's side is very athletic and I took over that same aspect. And so sports and and athletics were pretty much my, uh, all I wanted to do. And, uh, and that was my life, you know, outside it, it was, it was baseball, soccer, football, you know, or running around the bike, running around, uh, so, I mean, I'm a child of the 70s and early 80s. So There you go. There was no internet, no anything else. So we were outside. Outside, right? Get out of the house, mom would tell us. Exactly. Yeah, it was more like mom was whistling and no coming back into the house. Wake up in the morning and mom wouldn't probably see us. We were running around. I had a lot of neighbor, a lot of kids my age. So it was kind of a great, great situation for me. And we all kind of were all in the same sports and getting out and doing stuff in the woods and stuff. So it was great. That world is long gone, right, TJ? It is. It's sad. Is it what is what it is. Sad, yeah. I, I I see. You know. I I'm glad that I have nephews and nieces that um, you know they 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 played a little bit, but you know, and, and my nephews are always out. But sometimes we have to tell them get off the screens, go outside. It's, it's right. 
Yeah. Tough to do. You know, when I was a kid, the same thing. I would people would ask me, "Hey, John, what's your favorite sport?" And I would say, "Well, tell me what type of what time of year it is," and uh, and that'd be you know whether it's football season or basketball and baseball. Those were uh, the three main sports that I did. So nice to see that we have a lot in common. You know, when I speak with some of my other guests, I've had Eric Legrand come on with us and Mike yes. Nichols, and and you know sports. It's a great way growing up to learn, you know, not only camaraderie and being a good teammate, but you learn life lessons like winning uh, with class and losing with class. And so it uh, it builds character in young people. It builds character. Also, just it gives you work ethic. It teaches, you know, even if it's not sports, too. You know, I was like, you be, do something in a group where you learn teamwork. You learn um, you know, it's not always about yourself. You, you're, you're fighting with a common cause for, with your teammates or with your buddies, you know, and that was big for me. I, you know, I grew up, like I said, a sports fan. I have an uncle who was my godfather, my mom's youngest brother, who, um, all American at A&M and played eight years in the NFL. And so, you know, I was a little kid going to NFL training camps, getting to locker rooms and going to stuff. And so, you know, uh, I saw that and ingrained in that. Plus, just a very competitive person. I, I almost sometimes to a default, I would say, which I think helped me later in the injury, but you know, uh, uh, it's, you know, it, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in sports is what got me through my injury too. So I am right there with you and we could talk more about that later on. So now that, uh, let's take you off, um, off, uh, being a young child. How about now you're, you're working your way into high school. Now, are you starting to think, you know, hey, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life? Or are you still just oh. sort of uh, uh, playing no. sports and, and, you know, living the dream of being a teenager? I mean, I, I listen, I loved my junior high and uh, and high school years. That were, well, it's middle school that I recall, but we had junior high here in Texas where I was at. Same up here. Yep. Same thing. Yeah. Six, seven, I mean, uh, seventh, eighth and ninth grade. Then you go to high school is 10th, 11th and 12th. And, you know, I was I, my my sister likes to joke, oh, TJ, you were the 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 jock you know mr thought you were mr cool on all the these teen movies back before you got hurt and i'm like thanks a lot but uh you know i was you know like student council president and uh but i played sports oh you know i played you know it was football season then basketball then track and then i still did baseball and soccer outside of school you know but school you you know we had sports in junior high and high school and honestly that was my life. And, you know, since the time I was in probably eighth grade, my only thing I wanted to do was I was hopefully trying to get a scholarship. Uh, you know, I, I would have loved to have done it in football, but I was also um, soccer and golf. I think I had a chance at maybe definitely maybe getting a golf scholarship too. Is, but um, my only thing I ever wanted to do was be a coach. I wanted to be a high school football coach or a high school coach and got not only coach football, but coach soccer or coach track and do that. And, so that was my goal. Uh, you know, coaches had a big impact on me mm-hmm. back in the day. And uh, I just wanted that. I always thought I'd be in sports, sure. you know, some way. Uh, and so even in, I won an award back in high school and they asked what I want to do in the future. And in, it was in the paper uh, still saying, no, I, you know, it, hopefully if plans go well. I'll be a, a, you know, a high school coach or uh, even further. Come on, TJ, so. you wanted to be Tom Landry. I did. I did. Actually, you know what? I'll be honest. I'm more of a Jimmy Johnson guy. So I would have been Jimmy Johnson kind of type of okay. coach. Okay. Boys, that's more my style, but yes. You didn't want to wear the hat. That's it. You just didn't want to wear yeah, the hat. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I would have been more of, I think, the aggressive yeller almost a little too much. Okay. The, like, more Jimmy. Okay. 
an aggressive yeller. All right, and we'll put you not, down for not that. Not in a mean way, but you know, just let's get it out. You know, constructive. I had a, yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh wow. Well, TJ, I hate to do this to you, but why don't you tell us now about the day that changed your world? What do you yeah. remember about? you know, prior to your accident and then subsequently in the immediate aftermath? So, you know, with me, it was, um, I was, you know, my, when I was my, I was a senior in high school. So my senior was great. I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I had, um, taken all the mainly the hard classes, you know, from ninth grade through junior year. And so, uh, senior year I had it set up where I didn't even have to go to first period. I, you know, I had, uh, you well know, played. But yeah, easier classes. I had a girlfriend that I was pretty, you know, I was really serious with. And, you know, it was typical, stereotypical Texas high school. You know, I was a football player dating a cheerleader. And, but she was amazing. You know, I had the best friends. And, you know, my life was set. I was getting ready to go to college. You know, I was trying to decide where I want to go, see if I could get a golf scholarship. If not, I was, you know, what if I could get into AM, which I don't think I could have. But if not, I would have went to like Texas State or something like that. Sure. And, um, you know, everything's great. Friday night, you know, Friday pep rally, go to the pep rally, you know, claim. And I'll really, this is the weirdest thing is I literally at the pep rally was like having a, just felt weird. Uh, I remember telling my best friend, we were going home, you know, before the game, I, you know, went home, get chained on some stuff. And then I was like, I don't feel right. Something's wrong. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, you know, just kind of put it out of my mind. We get this, go to the, you know, go to the game, get warm up. We start, you know, we start the game and, uh, actually we're playing, I was playing a really good game. We were playing a really good game and we scored on a long touchdown 30 seconds, uh, like 30 seconds before halftime and something went wrong on the special teams. And there was a player. He was, I don't know if he wasn't paying attention or what he wasn't doing. And they're like, where is he? Where is he? So I just being me, um, you know, I, even though I just got filled, I jumped in and said, I'll do it and went in and when he's supposed to be on the kickoff, oh, um, good grief. He, but I was like, well, we need to fill in, so I'll, I'll do it. So I filled in and uh, went down. Uh, and right, you know, I, it's weird. Right before I hit him, I knew something was going to go wrong. And I made the tackle. I kind of what we used to call going across the bow. I kind of went, I should have maybe put my head to the side, I, but I went to the front. And uh, as soon as I hit him, I, I heard this loud crack. I made a tackle. Uh, and you know, I even have it on videotape, uh, and drop like a wet noodle, you know, and hit the ground. Um, it was a good hit though. I went out in style. So, you know, <laughs> Texas. So if you're going to live in Texas, you know, it, we, we take our high school football serious here. So to me, I'm like, if I'm going to go out, I went out the way I want to. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the guy, it was out three weeks of deep thigh bruise. So that made me feel at least a little good, but <laughs> no. So I, I hit him. And, uh, it, I, what I had was what they call a subluxation of the, of my C4 and C5 vertebrae in my neck. So I didn't sever my spinal cord, but I definitely, uh, it's almost like a dislocation of the, those two vertebrae yes. yep. and my spinal cord, um, I immediately fell to the ground. Uh, I was kind of laying halfway on my side and halfway on my stomach and, um, staring at my hand and the doc, you know, the trainer goes, what happened? I was like, I'm paralyzed. She goes, what? And I, said a couple of choice words and said yes. I'm paralyzed and then I just started praying and you know I'll never forget you know after a while they were squeezing this and I TJ can you feel this can you feel this and I yelled at one of my best friends I'm like Mike what are they talking about and he leans down with his helmet off and he has tears in his eyes and I go I, he goes dude they're squeezing your leg and I'm like oh I'm, that's it I'm I'm in trouble oh, God. So, 
you know, yeah, go ahead. the one thing I remember, and when I when I speak to folks who have, you know, had their injuries, whether it's on the football field or uh, diving accidents or what have you, um, I can tell you from from hearing from them and, and from my own uh, accident, what I felt, TJ, was just complete numbness. I felt nothingness from uh, the point of the injury down. There was no pain for me. It was just complete and utter numbness. And I could throw up just thinking about that feeling right now. You're exactly right. I, I didn't feel a thing. It was like, oh, did it hurt? I was like, I didn't feel anything. Like when I say, it, I mean, I, the, I mean, I didn't feel a thing on there. I could just, you know, the only, and then, you know, the, the one thought, honestly, after that, you know, when my buddy said, can you feel this? And I knew I wasn't moving and I couldn't feel anything. The thought that just came to me, I was like, everything I've worked for is gone. Yeah. I just, that's it. My life's over. I'm done. Mm-hmm. What am I going to, I remember that thought going through my head. They put me in the, you know, it seemed like it was forever for them to finally get me into the ambulance. And they said, hey, it's probably just a stinger, but you mean, just in case you might have broke your neck. And of course I went, no, I'm fine. I can move my neck. And I went to shake my head and they just, you know, don't do that. Right. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is it turns out, right? Yeah. They finally get me in the emergency room and, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And the doctor comes in. I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, I need you to, I know this sounds weird. I need you to calm down, find a way to calm down. And let me see what, you know, let me diagnose the situation. Yeah. You know, yeah. my life humor is everything. You know, if you always, even before I got hurt, I can laugh the situation. You can handle it. And only, you know, I had a motto when I played, it didn't matter how I played as long as I looked good. So I had a lot of, <laughs> I had tights on everything. I remember them joking, like how much stuff does he have on? And, but at that time, you know, I was like, okay, well, how can I do that? Well, they had taken all, everything off and I looked at the nurse and I was like, and I looked at her, I was like, all right, you got to admit, I look pretty sexy right now. <laughs> and at, at that time, I had no clothes on and just a football helmet. Oh, gosh. You're trying and to put she, everybody else I, at ease, right? It, it just helped me to try to deal with that. I had to, that was my way of denial, I guess, of dealing with it. But, sure. You know, from there, I kind of went to sleep. So, and yeah. Then, so, TJ, yeah. where uh, where were you taken um, and what were you told initially? And then lastly, when did, you know, it start to sink in that, uh, hey, we're not in Kansas anymore? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I play, like I said, in, in, in a, in a stadium, Euless, Texas, you know, and what's funny is, you know, we're, we are Texas and our stadium's 30 years old now, but even then back then, you know, we had a seat of 20,000 people, you know, at, at stadiums, we, you know, but so it was Euless. I went straight to the ICU, which thank goodness I, I was there right near the hospital and they had me within 30 minutes. They had me in there and, you know, this is 1990, October 19th, 1990 around 8 34 p.m just to be exact but um uh and there was a new drug that came out six months before it called solimedrol which was like a steroid which really made a difference for me they said to really help reduce the swelling because people don't realize that it's not just so much the initial break but once you have that break is the swelling and all that stuff can cause even more damage afterwards and that's so i was lucky enough to get that to kind of control the swelling and you know like i said after the whole little joking about how I looked, you know, they had me on enough medicine that they put me in and then they put me on a rack to straighten my spine. The hospital at the time, I think the most weight they ever put on was somebody like 30 pounds to straighten their spine. And it took 120 pounds to, to get my spine back aligned. After I just, so I woke up that morning and I had a halo on. And for those not familiar with the halo, it's two bars in the front, two bars in the back connected to a vest. And, and when those bars are screws to your head, so you can't move your head at all. 
um, woke up and the doc, you know, finally my, my parents were there and, uh, and, uh, uncle or one of my uncles would come in cause they were close. They've been, uh, the doctor came in, you know, it's TJ, you know, I'm Dr. Swickla and I'm the neurosurgeon and, you know, uh, he goes, you know what happened? I was like, yeah, I'm paralyzed. I was like, but you know, and they said, well, you broke, you dislocated your C4, C5 vertebrae. And I don't know, you know, movement wise. I said, well, am I going to walk in? Cause I don't know if you'll move anything again. And I was like, and I'll be honest with John, I was 18, a senior in high school. So I asked, can I have sex? You know, that was, <laughs> that was on your mind. Brain. I mean, that was my first question. And he said, yes, you, you know, and you, as I hanged up kid, he goes, yeah, you know, there's things, you know, I was, cause I was like, well, I'm not going to walk me is I don't know if you'll move anything again. I, you know, um, you know, you might be able to shrug your shoulders and I, that's the only thing I can tell you for sure. He goes, the good thing is you're in great shape and we didn't have to ventilate you. And I was, I didn't know what that meant. And he's, you know, so that I guess was made sure, but, you know, honestly, you know, for the first you know, week or so, I was thinking, okay, it's no big deal. You know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be back. We playing soccer by the spring, so it's gonna, you know, happen. You know, and then you go a couple more days, and you go a couple more days, and then they had surgery. They finally did surgery. I got hurt Friday night. They did surgery on a Wednesday, and I did have to have the ventilator or you know the tube down my throat for 25 hours, and I couldn't move at all. And the only way to communicate was by blinking yes or no when they asked questions, and they never asked the right questions, and. Uh, hmm. After that, when they finally took that tube out, that's when it started really hitting me like, okay, this could be bad. And, you know, the next day or two, I really wasn't talking to my friends or my girlfriend or my family much. And then, you know, that night when we were leaving, my mom looked at me and said, hey, this isn't you. I was like, what do you mean? Mom, you know, she goes, you know, I can tell you, she goes, you're going to get through this. Whether, no matter what the situation, how much you get back or what, you can't do this. You know, you need to take it on like you always have in sport. You know, I was a yeah. big goal setter. I used to put goals on my window, you know, if I want to run this, I want to jump this, I want to do this, I want to make this first team or whatever. You're going to have to attack it like that. And, you know, I, 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 you know, she goes, you know, you, you know, our lot, you know, our motto, yes, you have two things, you dwell on it or you, and say the, you know, or you say this sucks. I got to find a way to get through this. You yeah. know, what am I going to, so that's the kind of mentality I took. And the good thing is right sure. after that is when I, that I was going to go to a place called Dallas Rehabilitation Institute, which is no longer around. Now, but at the time in Dallas, it was probably the the, the top uh, spinal cord unit. And so to me, that was like, okay, get me there where I can start working. Yeah, you know? let's let's roll up our sleeves and get going, right? Exactly. I, they were telling me it's going to be all day intensive rehab. And mm-hmm. to me, that was music to my ears. Like, yeah. okay, good. That's what I want. TJ, how important were family, friends, and teammates initially uh, when you got to that rehab facility to, um, you know, sort of pull up your bootstraps and, and get this thing on again? Yeah. Well, to me, you know, family and friends are everything. It's my, that's my lifeblood. And, it, you know, I have a very close, big, like a family before, you know, even before I, we were very close, you know, um, family unions every year with big, you know, but that's the one thing if someone comes and said, oh, you know, you know, have you ever learned, you know, it, it must be all horrible. I was like, no, the one thing it did teach me is even reinforced it to me more so that family and friends mean the world, you know, that there it's, I'd be lost without them. I'd never be where I'm at today without them. They were there constantly. My mom, you know, my mom and dad were coming up all the time and it was things that people don't think like my mom and dad were always up at the rehab. And then I had a little sister and a little brother who were sisters in sixth grade, brothers in ninth grade, and they were having to 
you know, cook their own meals, do stuff because mom and dad were always up at the rehab for six months while I was in a living rehab. And then I had teammates and best friends that were coming up constantly. In fact, you know, two of my best friends knew that on the weekend where my rehab after a couple of months, I was able to get a, like a day pass on Saturday where uh, I could leave and then come back that night. And I didn't want to be with my parents the whole time. I'm 18. And yeah. so I had two of my buddies learn bowel program and how to cap me and how to and do CPR just so they could learn that to get me trained so they could, they could check me out mm-hmm. and they checked me out. And, you know, it was, uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever seen the movie, the TV show Friday Night Lights where the, not to ruin it for anyone, but when the main character gets paralyzed in the first episode and the teammates are coming in and always supporting him and stuff. And my brother actually is a, he's actually a TV director now, but he started out lowly back then on that show, Friday at Lights. And I remember calling him going, did you just, did you just tell these people a documentary what happened to me? Because that's <laughs> what, like, you, know, you want royalties, in. right? Yeah, exactly. It's but my honestly, story. You know, the thing about the family and friends is everything they were doing, you know, they were, they were there for me and they were, but they also were never pity. It was like, you can get through this. And if I was acting like, Oh, poor me, what was me? They weren't having it. They yeah. were going to call me. They were going to support me, but if for something they know I could do, they were going to make me do it. But what also was is when I ever had those days, like, I just can't do this. I'm not going to give up. I not only would be letting myself down, but I always thought in my back of mind, I would throw away all that sacrifice and support that my family and my friends have done for me. Yeah. And, can't do that to them and I can't do it to me. Yeah. So now what's the plan moving forward, TJ? You're in the rehab. Uh, you're you're getting better. You're doing hours of PT and OT and your life has completely changed. So what is the thinking now? Is coaching still uh, in the back of your mind? How about college? What, what What's the plan going forward? Yeah, for me, it was, you know, I wasn't going to put my life on hold. You know, I got hurt, you know, October. I went to the rehab on, on Halloween and, um, you know, I was like, I, this is my senior year. I, I want to graduate with all my friends. So while I was in rehab, um, I still did school. I had, you know, a tutor come up and do classes with me up after, after therapy and stuff. Cause I wanted to graduate on time. I still wanted to get out in time to go to prom and do graduation. So I was doing it. And my thought was college. And I didn't, at that point I started thinking maybe I might not be able to coach, you know, uh, you know, I didn't know. You know, now I think back, I probably maybe could have, but, you know, life, you know, life is always going to throw you a curveball and some, it's all about how you roll with the punches. Mm. And I'll be honest, how many people do I know went to college and never did anything that they were majored in? But pretty much everybody. Me, yeah. To me, it was never uh, a, even a thought of, OK, I'm not going to go to college now. The only thing that switched was I'm probably not going to go to A&M or I'm not going to be able to get, if I wasn't going to go to Texas state down in near, um, San Antonio or actually Austin area and right in between those two, San Marcos, I wouldn't be able to do that because I just didn't think I'd be able to move away from home at the time. I, you know, very limited. I wasn't driving. I wasn't strong enough to do that yet. And so I was like, what do I do? So I went to the local junior college. Thank goodness I did graduate on time, which was great for me. I went to prom and did that with, you know, and then that summer, you know, decided I'm going straight to college. I knew if I took off time, I would never get back in. So right. I went, gave myself the summer and then I went straight to college and um, went to a junior, junior college near me, um, which was good because I had a lot of friends that did the same thing and they were still there. Some, you know, helped me if I needed, I had actually my girlfriend at the time was younger than me, but her older sister was my age and we were good friends anyway. And that first semester she would like drive me to school. You That's know? awesome. 
yeah. So that made a big difference. And sure. I started learning, you know, the ropes. And then I set a goal of, I want to not be in junior college much longer. I want to go to, um, you know, so I went to a place called University of Texas Arlington, uh, which is honestly back then, you know, they're one of the best uh, schools in the entire country, colleges to go for if you were disabled. Wow. Uh, there are wheelchair basketball teams like the Duke and North Carolina wheelchair basketball. So they already had a, I was lucky. It was, you know, 20 minutes away from my house. And, you know, when I got hurt because it was football and my high school is one of the top programs in the state at that time. Now it's one of the top programs in the country, you know, and it was very well publicized and everything like that. So I got lucky that they, uh, some companies and some people donated, I got, the community was amazing and not just my family and friends, but the community itself donated money and stuff. And so they built my parents two car garage and extended it on to my own little apartment living area, own entrance, everything else. So I can still have help from my parents, but I can still have that uh, almost like I get to move out and, and still have my own um, adult be an adult and not always be with my parents. Isn't and that so, great? You know, people are good. It's, there's, there's still some good folks out there. There is. Unfortunately, people like to publicize the negative more than the positive, and there's Amen. so much more that goes out in the world, but that doesn't make good clickbait or stories, so we don't get that stories enough, unfortunately. No, no. So now, how about after uh, University of Texas Arlington, um, what are we doing work-wise? What were you thinking? That's, you know, that's that's the next thing, right? You, you get involved step. with the vocational directors, and what can you do, TJ, from your wheelchair that you, that you probably— uh, don't think that you can any longer. I, exactly. I didn't know what to do. And then, you know, I'll be honest. It took me, uh, it took me a, a couple of years, like a year and a half longer than I should have to graduate college. And everyone will think, Oh, you know, he was injured. So that makes sense. No, I, I think I just enjoyed college a little too much. Um, I'll be yeah. honest, yeah. you know, I, I still was acting hey, just cause I sit down as the way I looked at it was I, I sit down and get better parking spaces. That's the only thing different about me. Mm -hmm. So I was probably maybe, partied a little too much or took too much and dropped too many classes because I wasn't focused like I should have. But the last year and a half, I really focused in on like, I got to get out of school. It's like, what, what option do I have? It's not like I'm going to go, you know, my, my manual labor skills were gone. So let's, let's be honest. I needed to probably graduate college, do something for myself. So mm -hmm. uh, I really buckled down. I even got a part-time job. So I was going to school and building a part-time job, just doing working for roadside assistance and taking calls and, and helping the people out and doing it was all call centers. So I realized, okay, you know, I'm a, I know how to communicate. And at that time I was also doing some motivational speaking to elementary schools and junior highs. My mom was a teacher and I went back and spoke to her school and it went really well. And the counselor told the rest of the couple other schools in the district. Next thing I know, it kind of took off. And so I talked about positive attitude and learning how to set goals and the importance of talking to somebody when you have an issue, whether it be a, counselor or somebody you can't always do it by yourself and that went well so i decided you know I see a little was, foreshadowing here tj yeah yeah really it really did start early actually in my injury after that so i went with a speech communications was my um was my major and sociology as a minor and so i really enjoyed public speaking and really talking and so uh when i got after i graduated i was like what am i going to do uh and what's funny is my roommate and rehab, we both got hurt around the same time, very similar level of injury. We're still good friends to this day, but he and I stayed close. We, you know, we were in that room together almost six months and, uh, he was working at IBM doing sales. And so I decided, okay, you know, he's like, I can get your resume. So he did that. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. I got to find a real job and <laughs> work full. Get most importantly, my life was get insurance. That's all I was thinking about was get insurance, you know, mm -hmm. cause that's 
you're injured. That's what you think. I worked there for 10 years and I'll be honest, John, I hated it. I yeah. will never go doing a job that I hate. Uh, life's too short. And I've, now I realize, you know, everything I've been through, I need to do something I want to do. And it was a godsend that they had massive layoffs and I got a layoff and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I did some volunteering at Baylor rehab and started thinking, what am I going to do now? And yeah. then luckily, you know, the Reef Foundation came into my life. So. That's that's the next question. Uh, how and when did the Christopher and Dana Reef Foundation uh, come across your radar screen? So it was about 2011. I was laid off from uh, from uh, IBM, and I started volunteering. And I started working uh, with the local mobility dealer because I was good friends with them. You know, they built a couple of my vans so I could drive and do all that and you know they always wanted people to work the shows and someone that was injured and i was doing that and it was it was okay and uh i did a lot of volunteering at baylor rehab which is the main rehab at dallas fort worth um for spinal cord injury and uh bill collie who is my program direct our program director now for the peer and family support program with the reed foundation uh reached out they wanted to get a regional coordinator at the time but someone part-time to work Texas and Louisiana area, Oklahoma area. And so they reached out to the biggest rehab, which was Baylor and uh, asking some of the therapists and they threw my name out there. And then I remember Bill came calling. And of course I knew about the Reeve, Christopher and Dana Reeve foundation, because, you know, when Christopher got, when Christopher got hurt, it was, you know, five years after my injury. So I was very interested in what he was doing. And then I did a couple of things with some other nonprofits throughout my time to help out the Dallas area, but they were, uh, once the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation came about, they actually kind of partnered up with the Reeve Foundation. So I was always on their website looking at stuff. And, and I mean, I'm so, I mean, the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation information helped me out so much with, you know, when I had issues or I was trying to look up things, I would go there. But when Bill came calling me to talk about the peer program, I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, I, I've been mentoring at Baylor for about six months, helping individuals when they're injured, talk to them about how they can get through this and letting them know life's not over. I was like, this is so great. There's a national program. I never knew there was this. And I was like, I sure wish this was around when I got hurt because yeah. you, you know, the resource, and, right? Exactly. And now it's even more important. I got six months of rehab when I was injured. They don't do that now. Mm -hmm. I don't care. They're not insurance companies or medic. You're lucky if you're getting three months, if you're a C5 quad. That's and true. that's So they're leaving rehab and they just don't have the, maybe even the education about their actual disability, but let alone the emotional support and understanding of what life's, what's going to happen now. And when Bill was telling me that's what the goal is, and not only is it for the person that's injured, but also the, the spouse, the parents, I was like, all I could think back to that when I was doing that interview with them about, you know, wanting to be the regional coordinator at the time was God, where was, this would have been so amazing for myself and my family, you know, if oh. this was around. Without question. And, and talk mm -hmm. about if if there could have ever been the description of a perfect job for T.J. Griffin to get at this point in his life. I mean, that sounds yeah. like it would totally be it. But, it it uh, is. I, yeah. My family friends, when I told them what I was doing, they're like, thank God. We've always thought that's the ideal thing for you because I love it. You know, I, I went around to schools and talked about positive attitude and setting goals and um, the importance of believing in yourself um, and learning to, you know, Okay, yeah, it's okay to have a bad day, but you you got to learn that you can't let a bad day turn into a week. Next thing you know, a week turns into a month, and you haven't left your house or haven't left your bed or you yeah. have you know snowballs, you, right? 
uh, yeah, and learning to, you learn to set emotional goals. It's not always about physical goals. It's, I am going to make myself go to dinner or go shopping or go somewhere after the rehab. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. make myself leave the house five times this week and do something, you know, yeah. things like, and yeah. I got to, you know, bring my, you know, my experience, but also, you know, I, I'll admit when I do those public speaking engagement schools, I, I don't think, I think I might've gotten more out of it sometimes than they got out of it listening to me. So, you know, sure. but it's the same now sure. with mentoring. I first started it, you know, you hear somebody say, Hey, wow, you gave me hope. Next thing I mean, that's going to get, gives me hope about mm-hmm. my future. Not yeah. only that. So, you know, TJ, I'll tell you, I was doing outpatient therapy at the time. Um, when they brought Christopher to Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in, in West Orange, New Jersey. And I, I recall uh, my dad was picking me up and we heard helicopters over top. And I thought, what the heck is going on here? Then lo and behold, I'm in the parking lot and I could see that there's paparazzi in in tree stands in, in the back to get, you know, with telephoto lenses to get the first picture of Superman in a wheelchair. It was it was grotesque um, how this poor man had to had to endure all of this. And so, um, yeah, I was I was there at the time. And, and I remember, you know, I'm a proud guy like yourself. And, and just for me walking, I was a little embarrassed at the way I was walking mm-hmm. now. How am I? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine once being a star of stage and screen. And then, you know, being in a position where now I'm, I'm on a ventilator and I'm in a power wheelchair and people are just trying their hardest to get a photo of me at my at my weakest point. It was crazy. No, I remember when it happened and then, you know, you're like, what's going to happen? And it didn't really dawn on me the significance, you know, until about a year later, you know, and you hear all the stuff. And I, I can't be more... It's hard because he was amazing at what he did and how he handled it because I don't think many people could have done that because you're going through the most traumatic thing you could almost imagine, right? And I can't imagine. And he was a higher level than me and on the vent, and he handled it with such grace and dignity. But also to me, Dana, his wife, just even back then, I I was just – uh, blown away with her you could just see her strength and love and support she had yes and you know so even, and of course to find out that it was dana's idea to come up and to do the paralysis resource center and the and the and and open the the peer family support peer mentor program because you know like you said you know it was kind of like going to a different world when you all of a sudden your old change you know what do you do now and christopher was amazing at wanting to find a cure and, and getting the research and really making research a priority for spinal cord injury which i don't think i know there wasn't beforehand but dana was also like well what do we do until then how yes. do we help these yeah. now she was amazing at that and, and and i'm so glad it happened but the one thing i look at you know when christopher was hurt was I compared it to when I found out, you know, when uh, Match Johnson got diagnosed with HIV, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the whole world hits it and it becomes awareness now. And to me, I don't think there was much awareness at all about spinal cord injury. You know, I know I didn't know much about it before my injury and my family and friends didn't. And then after my injury, yeah, they knew, but the rest of the world didn't. And finally, you know, it's, I hate it for him, but it brought awareness to the world about, Hey guys, this is a, this affects people and it doesn't discriminate. You can be rich, you can be poor, you can be white, you can be black. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It can happen one at any time. And he became the face of spinal cord injury. And, and, you know, in a way he's, 
most known for playing the part of Superman on the stage and screen. But if you ask me, uh, the, the part that he played of Superman for those of us with spinal cord injuries is is his legacy, if you would ask me. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, he was a great Superman on the movies, but let's be honest, he was a Superman in real life. And yeah. and, and the legacy he's built mm-hmm. and what the, the amount of people uh, that he has helped um, in this world uh, is not public. It's not, it's not, it doesn't get enough uh, recognition and publicity as it deserves, but at least it's there. Without and, question. Yeah. You know, yeah. TJ, yeah. tell us, tell us what the foundation's main objectives are for the peer and family support program. So we, I'm glad you asked that John. Thank you. Cause I, I want everyone that to understand out there that you know, you're not alone um, with this injury. So if this happens to you or happens to a family member or a friend of yours, don't think that you have to do this on your own. The Paralysis Resource Center uh, and the Christopher Reeve Foundation and the, and the Peer and Family Support Program can be here. You know, someone could call right now or send an email to our information specialist uh, through the website or, you know, um, through our email and asking for resources they don't know. I mean, I, like I, when I got hurt, I'll, for example, I didn't know what to do when I was starting to get strong enough to drive. Um, and I thought, okay, I have to drive. And someone had, oh, there's a place in San Antonio. You go there. And so I went all the way to San Antonio and the company wasn't very reputable. And it, you know, I didn't know. And there was no internet at the time. And, you know, we couldn't just look up stuff on Google at the time. There was nothing that. And so I went all the way to that. I had to drive all when I could have. You know, if I would have reached out, if there, you know, if there was a Reed Foundation back then, like there is now, I would have had all these information sent to me about what's around me if I was wanting to drive or if I was wanting, you know, if I had an issue with a skin problem, I could have just winched out and they would have it. I mean, we have these, if someone now calls me or reaches out to our, our uh, information specialist and reaches out to the Process Resource Center and says, you know, my son was injured three weeks ago, a month ago, we're going to give them a new injury packet with a paralysis resource guide and with information about what's, you know, what to expect, what to happen, anything they want. You know, if you're wanting information about grants in your area, or if you're wanting information about home modifications, you're wanting information, they can go directly to our information specialist and we can take that information, send them that. And then they would be like, well, you know, what would benefit you is, you know, have you thought about talking with someone that's lived with your, you know, with what your injury is or lived in, you know, with your situation, if your spouse was injured or something, they would send that over, you know, and we, we can actually talk with them, uh, and, you know, see if we can match them up with one of the almost 500 mentors we have across the country that are similar to their age, similar level of injury. Mm -hmm. And, it just makes a difference. And we didn't have, I didn't have that. I don't know no, if you had that. None of that. Not in the early nineties. No. TJ, how does, yeah. how do people get in touch with you? Where do they go? There's, uh, yeah. is it your main website? Is there a hotline? How do, how do folks, uh, get in touch? You can always call, um, you know, you can always go to the ChristopherReeve.org website. Um, and you know, there's a get support or ask us anything, you know, it'll have there. You can even schedule a call, but we have a 1-800 number line to our information specialist. You can, you know, it's 800-539-7309. Or if there's specific questions you would like answered and information sent to you directly, you can go info specialist at org email. 
and send that on. What's nice is they will ask you to, if you would like to connect with a one-on-one peer mentor. Um, if that happens, there's a good chance you might be getting a phone call from me and mm-hmm. you and I talk and I would get some information. We can try to, you know, it's an actual conversation. It's not just me interrogating with how were you hurt? You know, what, you know, I yes. want to know what you're dealing with emotionally, yes. I mean, physically, you know, um, cause I, you know, I'll, I'll give you, it's not a story time about me, but if they ask me questions, you know, I've been through it all. I've had the, I hate to say it, the skin flap surgery from a skin problem. I've, uh, you know, I dated a lot. I, I got married and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm open and honest about everything. I feel like my situation can always help. I actually had a divorce too. And back out in dating world and doing that. I mean, there's a lot of things. It's this injury. It's not always about the physical. Can I get this back? Can I get that? It's how do I move on with my life? How yes. do I really, yep. you know, not over. Mm-hmm. You know, TJ, I just started a job at Kessler within the last six months or so. It was supposed to get going before COVID hit and then the world changed, but uh, I'm up and running and I am actually the peer counseling coordinator at Kessler. And what we do, uh, it sounds like exactly what, what you guys are doing is uh, we try to pair up someone who's newly injured, who is, you know, has that look, look on their face like, uh, hey, can somebody get the license plate of the truck that just ruined yeah. my world? And then uh, we we try to match them up with somebody who's been at the game for a little while, if you know what I mean. They're living with their spinal cord injury for a couple of years. And so we we either, well, now it's all Zoom and, and FaceTime. Usually we do it in person, but, you know, get them together where folks can sit down and, and they're not talking to an able-bodied person that's telling them, hey, you know, you can work on your bowel program and your catheterizing program, yeah. and, you know, bowel and bladder. It, it, coming from someone who can do those things is one thing, but coming from someone who's compromised like we are it is a whole new ball game. And so um, that I think is, is the beauty of having someone who is, you know, sort of walk the walk and talk the talk. Yeah. I can tell you right now, you know, the beauty of the peer mentor program and I, and I tell you um, for those listeners out there too, it's not always about even new injury. Yeah. Definitely. We want to help the new injury person, but you know, we all experience, I mean, I'm lucky that, um, it's funny to this day, I've been hurt almost, you know, over 30 years. And my roommate, and I was talking about him earlier, Craig, who's one of our mentors as well, Craig Crosby, we still will call each other and bounce things off. And a lot of times it's not even how do you do this or we're navigating. It's being able to vent to somebody that gets it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, I'm so tired of dealing with having to have, you know, worrying if, you know, if your caregiver is 15, 20 minutes late and like, oh, am I going to get, am I going to get dressed and get in time to go to work? Or I'm so tired of dealing with, um, dealing with, you know, whether a stomach issue or just yeah. sometimes it to somebody like it, excuse my language, pissed me off. I <laughs> dropped my cup of water and I couldn't get it last night. It's the little things that sometimes drive you to the point where you just get frustrated. Like, why can't I just reach down and grab that one little thing that's just out of my reach, yes. you know, sure. and that can off but the you know you talk to an average family member and stuff they want to understand it's not their fault but you talk to a peer mentor um that's a c5 c6 quad that's been hurt for 10 years he's gonna laugh and give you that you know say yeah you're right you know it it does set you off and let you vent that and he understands yeah 
I can't tell you how many times a day that I'll something will happen to me, like you mentioned, dropping something. If something's on the floor in my world, it's over. So I, I mutter uh-huh. to myself over and over, you just can't make this up. You cannot no. make it up. You really can't. And unless you're you're in our shoes, it uh, it is so true that uh, because yeah. it's it's all encompassing. It's from the minute you open your eyes in the morning to the minute you close them at night. It's it's a completely different existence. It's a new normal. Like for me, um, you know, everyone else is like, oh, they, uh, they shower. Me, I know that my day starts when my attendant, she comes in in the morning and, okay, I hear the dogs barking because she's already come in and she gets my coffee ready. She's coming in. I, I know that she's going to help me get rest. Yeah. Get showered. That's just my normal. That It doesn't even affect me anymore. But someone new, that is a huge thing. You have to depend on someone else to do that little thing. And sure. you have to explain to them that you will get used to this where it does become natural, but it's also... You know, it can be frustrating. What's also nice about a peer mentor is, you know, let's be honest, especially if you're first hurt or if you've been hurt for a while, you know, um, you know, your, your able-bodied family members or friends might not call you out on things because they're like, well, they don't know. They don't understand it. Where with us, if, you know, we know that you can be doing something for yourself or something, sometimes it's good to say, listen, you know, you can do that and yeah. you got, you know, and we can do it and they can't, they can't pull the, well, you have no idea what it's like in my shoe, you know what I mean? So Sometimes it's good to have that. I, you know, I, I, I actually, my buddy Craig, I was telling you about, we both do it with each other. And, and I was, as I said, I took a little too long to get out of college. And he finally goes, what are you going to do? It's time to grow up. You got to, you know, there's yeah. no more. No one else can really say that. Cause I can always, but well, you have no idea. That's he, right. Be, yeah. And, and, you know, it was a good thing. So sure. sometimes having someone that understands that, you know, you, that you, that you can't pull that card of, you don't you, you get out a free card by saying you don't understand what I go through yes. when they do is sometimes can hold you accountable and be a good thing too, that people yes. don't think of my peer program too, is it's not always just, it is support, but sometimes it can be a uh, harsh truth support. Yeah. TJ, how fulfilling is it for you? Um, as we talk about, as someone who has, uh, had a spinal cord injury yourself. How fulfilling is it for you that at the end of the day, you're helping folks get through situations that you have firsthand experience with that and that you represent the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation uh, in the long run? I, 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 I love my job more than I could ever imagine. I remember back when I did work at IBM and I just hated my job. I remember not wanting to go to sleep on Sunday. I knew I was going to wake up Monday to a whole week of job. Now I just, I, I wake up in the morning and I am in a good mood because I know I love my job. I, I'm blessed because the people I work with, you know, especially in the peer family support program and Phil Colley and Rebecca Soltzbaum, my coworker, Hannah and Colleen, that's kind of our peer program there. They're amazing people. And we all have the same goal in mind is we want people to know that this is not a this is not a, okay, your life's over. This is, yes, a major change happened in your life, but you can live an amazing life. If, if, and I swear to you and people sometimes don't believe me. If someone came down to me right now and said, Hey, I can make you walk, but you know, you're not going to have that, you know, all this, all the knowledge I learned about how important family and friends are and have that closeness that, I mean, I have such a huge net of close friends that have just been there for me and, that have just rallied around me and I wouldn't have that. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't do it. I was like, I'll put up with the spinal cord injury because that's how much, you know, I still love my life right now. I have a happy life. And for me to be able to, to let people understand that they can still live an amazing life. Yes. You might have to learn that 
you know, have to have an attendant or you, there's certain things you can't do, or more importantly, there's just different ways you have to go about doing what you wanted to accomplish yeah. and that's it. But if I can help in that and I know that I, I've done that, it's amazing. I've had people tell me like, Oh my God, you've given me hope. I, I, I didn't, I, you know, and crying on the phone to me and I get off the phone and I'm like, wow, I, you know, this is my job. I get paid to actually yeah. make this, you know, it'll make, doing that extra admin work that drives me crazy, mm-hmm. you know, it's all worth it because I get that opportunity to talk to somebody for an hour during a day at maybe the lowest point of their life sure. and maybe realize that their life is not over and, or their loved one can be still have a great life, still, you know, go to work can still go to school or still, you know, have a relationship and, and travel and do things because people think you're in, you know, they think your life's over. They think you don't travel. You don't, have fun. You don't go to sporting events. You don't date. You don't get married. You don't do that. And that's so far from the truth and yeah. reality situation. Yeah. Well, you might be the first one that's going to give me a different answer to uh, the final question that I always ask everybody. So I'm going to put it to you now and let's see um, what your answer is. If I could snap my fingers right now, TJ, and mm-hmm. you would be completely healed and able-bodied again, what is the first thing that you would do? You're, you're gonna laugh. So my and be completely friends, honest. My, and I, oh, be completely honest. Um, if I could, oh, if I could do it, it'd be one thing, uh, you know, uh, and would probably I would play golf with my my uncle at my family unit. You know, we have a big family golf tournament, even still to this day. You know, and now I'm in charge of it, setting up all the stuff. But I would play golf with my family. That would be my my uncles, my cousins, and that would be the one thing. But I always used to joke too that if I had 24 hours to just walk and I'd do it, I would play golf. I would swim. One of the things I would do is mow the lawn. And people always make fun of me, like, "Why would you?" <laughs> I miss doing like manual labor, manual labor, uh, labor chores. Yeah, you know, oh, get my hands dirty and doing that. And you know, I would uh, do that, and I would dance with, you know, whether my girlfriend's time or a girl I'd dance. I would be like, "Let's go." I'm cutting it up. I'm mm-hmm. getting out there. I have no problem dancing on the dance floor now, but you know, sit my jump in my lap and we'll spin around. But I want to do some <laughs> swing dancing and doing stuff. I would do it all. I mean, I hate to say it. I, I from I think you can tell from the earlier when we were talking, it's all about sports. It would be golf, swimming. I'd be throwing the football. I you know, and I keep thinking I would be forty eight, so I'd probably be really tired, but I would be I would have I would have milked it for all it's worth. Yeah. But yeah. I always good. say I always say that I would put on my uh, earbuds and go out for a nice long run and just taste that salty yeah. sweat rolling down my mouth. You know, the old the old sports days running around. I had uh, Eric Legrand came on and he had a funny one. He said, the first thing, John, the first thing he said, I'd run out my front door butt naked and let all my neighbors see me. I would do that. Uh, I also had a gentleman tell me he would uh, he would lovely. Uh, he would love to roll out of bed on his own, not have somebody get him out of bed. And he mm-hmm. would gleefully walk over into the men's room and, and stand in front of the toilet and, and take care of his business without any help or any, you know, any that, need to do any of that stuff. So I've had a bunch of answers. Not, well, I gotta say, John, I think yours is, one of the things I would definitely do is the sweating. I miss that work hard, sweating, taste, like you said, the salt, you know, honestly, I miss that. So, and I live in Texas. So just coming outside doing a run down the street would have done it. Yeah. That and want to barefoot and feel the grass beneath my feet and actually feel it, you know, between the toes kind of thing. That's it. 
That's it. Simple pleasures, right, TJ? If it meant not having, though, my family and my friend relationships that I've built, that I, we've become even bonded more after my injury, we became close, not just that, extended family and close friends, it, it still wouldn't have been worth it for what I learned on that. TJ, listen, I want to thank you for the time that you've carved out for me. Um, and uh, continued best of luck to you as the program coordinator of the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation Peer and Family Support Program. It's been my pleasure having you on. John, I, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing, uh, especially now you're going to be doing that at Kessler. So congratulations on your new position. Uh, anyone listening, please reach out to us. Um, you would be, we, you know, it's free information that we provide you and the resources and they can change your life. And the, the peer program, I promise you, I think John knows that he's doing that now at Kessler. And, you know, we work with all the rehabs across the country. And, uh, you know, John, please send anybody when they're leaving Kessler, send them to us so we can help them out because uh, we're all in this together. We are indeed, TJ. Again, thank you for sharing your inspirational story with us today. Special shout out to Julia Leonard for making this all happen. As for next week's show, well, I am going all the way back to 1977 to borrow the title of Styx's hit song, Come Sail Away, as Deborah Mellon, owner of the Impossible Dream, the most accessible sailing catamaran in the world, is my guest. Deborah has been paralyzed since 1989 following a car accident in Tuscany, Italy. However, her life's passion has become sharing the joy of sailing with people of all abilities. The Impossible Dream is currently on her seventh annual five-month-long summer voyage, which encompasses a 4,000-plus mile journey from Miami to Maine and back. Along the way, the vessel stops in over a dozen ports to collaborate with rehab hospitals, advocacy organizations, and disability groups to take over 1,300 people sailing. So grab your life preserver. We will meet you at the dock. On behalf of the great Chris Parapesco at Lime Studios TV in New York City, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't care about no I got so much left to do with my life.